Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. And we have a heck of a show for you this week. A special kind of show as we are going to be taking you inside one of the most exclusive collector events I've ever had the chance to be a part of. Yeah, we got invited to a super secret on the down low collector event in Seattle, Washington. And it was so much fun. We have so much to talk about. We talked to so many people. It was incredible. It did have to be a secret. We kind of teased on our last show that we were going to be doing something over Labor Day weekend that we couldn't talk about. The reason being, initially this was discussed as a invitation-only type of convention. And the reason invitation-only is because we got to go see some things and into some houses that are private, and they wanted to keep it quiet so that there weren't party crashers and people they didn't know at the events. And if you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we were able to post about things as they happened after they happened because it was a roving convention. We went from place to place. Sometimes we'd go as many as a dozen places in a day. Yeah, it was crazy. I've never been a part of anything like this on any kind of scale, even remotely like this. Absolutely. I'll admit, we kind of went into this thinking it would be a Labor Day vacation and that we'd get a nice Hyatt suite hotel and kind of rest up and enjoy some Seattle coffee and see the Space Needle and do some other things. But it really was a well-planned wall-to-wall event. The parties went wee into the evening and the early morning. Yeah, we started each day usually around 11 a.m. and didn't finish till 14 hours later, which is an intense, intense thing because until about five o'clock you were on the move. And it was driving and seeing things and visiting people, and it was crazy, but it was fun. There was no relaxation. No. And 14 hours seemed like fairly short days, except that in addition to all of that, we were doing other stuff, like having to ship stuff home. It was another vacation where we had to ship two boxes, two very large boxes back from Staples. Hey, the Carvalos don't go anywhere without shipping something, okay? FedEx <laughs> should owe me, like, a sponsorship. Actually, we used the post office. It saved us about 60 bucks this trip. Yeah, I don't really like to give the post office my business. They smash my packages. We'll see. It hasn't come yet. So big shout out to Ryan for the photos on the Enhanced Podcast and the site because all of our stuff is still in the very capable hands of U.S. civil servants. But 
yeah, this was something I wasn't quite sure what we were going to have when we got in there. There was a schedule. We kind of knew what it would be, but had no idea of the scale. There were over a 100 collectors from around the world. People flew in from Japan to see this, from across the country. Many people we knew from taking part in the collecting tracks at the previous few celebrations, or from just going to celebration, or from collecting in general. And then there were some people who we'd never met before. And last year, Marjorie and I actually went to Seattle for the first time as a true non-Star Wars-related vacation. Yes, but it ended up being sort of Star Wars because we hung out with our Seattle friends. We went to a Sarlacc meeting, had a great time. We went on an epic toy run with a few people, and it was... A great, great time. We went to an arcade. How much fun is that? That was just amazing. Tacoma has one of the best arcades I think I've ever seen in the world. So this was kind of fun to go back. We didn't have much to see, luckily, in the city of Seattle because we did see quite a bit before. So I didn't feel like I was missing anything in the city. No, we saw the Space Needle, the EMP Museum, the Wall of Gum, all of that on our last trip. So here... We did do a little tourism because we got in on Thursday night. Events really started on Friday night. So we had Friday morning to kind of be touristy again and go to the world's first Starbucks again. I needed the new Pike Place mug. As you guys know, I do collect the Starbucks mug. And this was an epic trip for me because Arnie found two mugs I didn't have. So it was my other collecting too. But starting Friday night, it all kicked off and was such a great time. Now, Sarlacc for those who aren't familiar with it, is a little bit of a different type of collecting club. There's no membership dues. There's no hierarchy. There's no leadership. It's a bunch of people get together and hang out and collect together. But I'd say that the most notorious of the Sarlacc collectors is Gus Lopez. You've seen him on TV. I first saw him on a, I think it was Discovery Channel documentary where he talked about going to Tunisia and finding the locals who had scavenged some pieces from the sets during A New Hope in Episode 1, and how he found a guy who'd taken the Endor bunker from Return of the Jedi and turned it into a fence. I knew all these stories from television and heard him interviewed on Star Wars and Direct when he was talking about collecting cereal boxes. It was the another time I'd heard about him, and then he's been on this show many times as he's gotten into publishing Star Wars books with his and Duncan's comprehensive guide to Star Wars collectibles and the guide to Star Wars prototypes. This is the man who owns the original 1977 A New Hope Death Star. That is truly tremendous. I will say that is kind of cool to walk into Gus's house and see that. Yeah. Well, this idea was kind of Gus's brainchild, even though there's no leadership there. But he came up with the idea because he just added on to his house to continue displaying his collection. We got to see it last year before they'd even really begun construction. They were just starting to move some of the collectibles in preparation. And this was the grand initiation of his new, bigger, badder, better Boba Cabana. Yeah, it was great because he has a logo for it and he has merchandise. It's awesome. So we got a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about where he got the idea for ice and some of the prep that went into it. Well, we're here with Gus Lopez, who's kind of the mastermind behind ICE. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what gave you the idea and how you got started on it, Gus? Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, by no means just me. I mean, there are a lot of people that, 
you know, contributed to this. So, um, you know, uh, many of them put countless hours, the weeks before this, many of them working late evenings every night, getting ready. Um, I know we were, you know, we were, we did our construction. We spent months, like every weeknight and weekends, pretty much since April, I've been working on getting even ready for this event. The, you know, the, you know, Kurt and Mike who were in the graphic design. They were for many late nights and weekends just working on that stuff. Um, Amy and Earl, who were working on uh, the giveaways and the volunteer stuff, spent countless hours, as did a lot of volunteers. So there are a lot of people that made it happen. There's not like a one-person thing. And actually, it worked really well that way. It was very complimentary skills and, and time put in, but there was a lot of effort from a lot of people. You know, the Star Wars collectors in Seattle are you know very active collectors, and we, you know, a lot of it came from you know we were doing remodeling in our house. I wanted to do a kind of a big event once we uh, finish our remodeling and could, could display things in a new way. And you know, I didn't want to do an event just about our place. I wanted to kind of share all the different places in the area, and also give people some advance notice to plan so we could get a lot of people to come out here. So it was that was kind of what started it all, and then. A lot of people really got on board with it, which made it, you know, just snowballed from there uh, and, you know, went really successfully. I, I never would have anticipated it would go this great and go this big. Uh, but it was, yeah, really originally just out of the idea of showing our place kind of redone. And that is the Boba Cabana. Is that a new name for it? I hadn't heard it before, at least. Yeah, we've used the name Boba Cabana since 2000. I mean, when we first moved into our house, um, we had, um, I remember we had a lunchtime at San Diego Comic-Con in 2000. I got together with a few folks. Um, I think some of the folks there were like, you know, uh, Chris Trevas, Chris Rive, Michael Wistock, Steve Sansui. We all were getting together and going, hey, we just bought this new house. We're trying to figure out a good name for, um, you know, our house. And and uh, I forgot who came up with the idea, but one of them came up with the idea of Boba Caban. I think, I think it might have been Chris Trevas. I don't remember exactly. But um, but we're like, that is great. That's we're huge Boba Fett fans. That works. And so, uh, so we went with Boba Cabana. And we've called it that since 2000. But um, recently, this year is when we started – you know, we actually, Matthias Rendell came up with a logo for it, and so we've started actually doing a little bit more with the branding of Boba Cabana. Are you also big Manilow fans? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people who are, but I, I'm not a Manilow fan. <laughs> I wasn't sure with yeah, the yeah. name at that's, all. Well, that's the problem with the name, because like every time you say the name, the song goes through your head, so that's the one downside of that name. <laughs> yeah. And to let listeners know what you've done, you added, uh, you have a two-story now collection add-on to your house, which was already an impressive display that we had the uh, fortune to see last year. Yeah, I mean, we already had a lot of collectible display space. I mean, we had like three rooms in the basement, our living room and dining room have stuff. And then there's, uh, I really lost count, but like five rooms in the house, other rooms in the house. We added six collectible rooms in the new building, and then a whole layer level with storage uh, around the garage layer level. You know, so yeah, I mean it's a, a lot of space, but and it is a massive amount of space. But it really does work with the different things that I collect and my wife collects. And so, in taking this and bringing it to the ICE convention, I, you talked to some of the people at Starlight. We talked to Amy about it and such. So, how did you get the idea of making it this kind of? Marjorie's been calling it a progressive convention, the way like progressive dinner parties start at one person's house for hors d'oeuvres, then go to the next for each course. How, how did that come about? Well, we, what we did was we identified early on um, who would be interested in hosting and, and who would, who could host, you know, a hundred plus people in their home. Cause that, that, you know, not everybody can do that. And, and which would be good venues to do it in, uh, where there'd either, 
you know, uh, the house is big enough to accommodate, or there's something interesting in the area, or the collection something that people might want to go around and see. So there were a lot of factors. We had a good kind of complementary set of homes and willing hosts. So we had multiple hosts that, that wanted to do it. So then we started picking which who would do which day, what would be the flow, and then we started including the hosts in our planning meetings. We would just get together. I mean, with our, I call it a meeting. It sounds very formal. We would basically get together for beers or for lunch or something and just talk about what we wanted to do. And and then, it, yeah, it just kind of gelled from there. We, we, the idea was uh, really early on what we did was say save the date, get word out to people, like save the date, plan for this. It's on a holiday weekend. So – we know people have days off from work typically, but they also need advance notice so they don't do other things then. And then we also had arranged the host early on to lock that in. And then from there, we started to put all the pieces into place, like getting sponsorship and getting uh, getting you know uh, volunteers in order and all that. Uh, but but it was really solve the hard things first: who would host and and getting word out to attendees. And the giveaways are just amazing. You know, you had kind of teased that there would be some really exclusive giveaways, but the coins, the Ewok yeah. kind of pin, the passport. That, that's one of the greatest things yeah. is the passport. That's something other conventions should think about doing is having yeah. that kind of journey of your experience stamped in as you go. Yeah, one of the times we got together to talk about the giveaways, I remember, because I was, I was particularly pushing to do just wild, crazy, big stuff. And, and you were like, this is totally crazy. I cannot believe we would do... But they were laughing, saying, it's crazy, but I think we should do it. But it was like, you know, they were acknowledging, like, I cannot believe you're suggesting that we're going to do this. They're going to do the, the play set and the coins and, and the passports, and we went down the list. And But, you know, even after we did it, a lot of the attendees and guests, you know, they were all they all made their own. They made buttons, and they all they, they brought their own stuff. Matias made a poster for the grand reopening of the Boba Cabana. Like, I didn't even know he was making that. It was this beautiful, like, Art Deco-style poster. Um, you know, th so there were a lot of surprises, you know, even for us. Uh, people really got into it. Yeah, and I have to give you some serious kudos on the Viewmaster. Yeah. That was amazing. Looking in and seeing 3D representations of your collection, that is yeah. – <laughs> how did you come up with that idea? Well, it was an idea I had before, you know, I talked – years ago to collectors about, you know, isn't it weird that Star Wars has never done a Viewmaster, although now there is one actually just came out, but um, officially, but but yeah, you know, there is, Viewmasters are really cool because they're stereoscopic and you don't have to wear a special like glasses or anything to do it, to, you know, to see the stereo, uh, the you know, effect, but but the, um, the 3D effect. But um, it was really weird doing, I'd never done that process before. And we had, you know, there's some errors early on because tried using a 3D camera, but a lot of the 3D cameras are just 2D cameras that simulate 3D. So I finally ended up, uh, and it, it, it seems, you know, it's actually easier than I thought it would be, basically shooting with my uh, my normal SLR camera at two different points on a, on a tripod, and we're able to create those 3D images. And when put on a Viewmaster, they really have incredible depth and perspective to them. Um, so it was, it was fun doing it, because when it came out, I was like, wow, this actually worked. Like, I had no idea it was going to work. I thought they were going to be flat images, and I was, I was impressed that they were able to get it to be really 3D. Yeah, what I've been saying is all of the giveaways were just astounding. Down the yeah. line but that one just for bulk and originality yeah. it, it absolutely just blew my mind when i'd seen it so again congratulations on everything and your new building it's yeah. a very impressive site yeah thanks very much yeah yeah i'm glad you're glad you you liked it and yeah that's what we wanted to do is have people have a good time and and you know enjoy it and see it see it for the first time 
The Return of the Jedi screening is one of the high points for us. How how was that able to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's a private screening. We didn't do, you know, we have one of the folks, uh, Brandon Allinger, who's you know an out of town guest. He had he he was excited about the event, and he said, you know, by the way, I have a print of the film. Um, we could just do a private screening, you know, and rent out a theater. Um, and and so I started to look into it. And a lot of great you know ideas with these things happen organically. Like you get an opportunity comes up, and you just explore it. And so we found the perfect kind of theater. It, an old 40s theater in North Bend where we were um, also visiting, uh, you know, uh, Vic Wirtz and Lisa Stevens in the same town. And so it worked out with the schedule. Um, it's a beautiful, like, old theater. It seated just enough people that were attending. And they were willing to do wild stuff like, you know, let the marquees, you know, say whatever we wanted to put on them. You know, we could, we could um, you know, uh, give out, like, souvenir tickets there, you know, all this kind of stuff. So they were really flexible to what we did. It was, like, the perfect theater to do it. So it just kind of grew organically from Brandon offering to let us use his his print of Return of the Jedi. That's very cool. And for listeners who know Twin Peaks, it's actually catacorner to the Double R Diner, which was all very exciting. Yeah, that area gets a lot of Twin Peaks tourists. Like people are into the show, they they go, they they get they get out to North Bend and 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 all the spots there. And they see Mount Si that's used in Twin Peaks, and you know, and, and all all some local places there. Um, they've actually done Twin Peaks events at this theater as well. Like Pete Vilmer is one of the guests here on this uh, on this event. He'd been he had been to North Bend before several times for Twin Peaks events. So this has been a great event. Again, thank you for inviting us. I know that you know being the planner and host, sometimes you don't get to know how things are going. It has been a tremendous time for us as attendees of this event to get to see so many collections and so many great people. But yeah, it worked out. People got to see several of the places. It was, we were worried, what was a concern we did the Kessel Run was if too many showed up in one place or too few showed up, and it ended up being a good balance. People got to, I think, almost all the places, I think every place got some visitors, and and uh, and people really enjoyed the Kessel Run. They had a good time with it. Yeah, I think that was great. We were talking off mic beforehand, seeing all the different displays and all the different focuses from collectors who don't even have Star Wars, but just this great aeronautics display to seeing modern action figures, vintage action figures, movie props, a Millennium Falcon focus collection. Every single one was something absolutely astounding to behold and just marvelous. So... Again, Gus, thank you. You've really put together a great show. And if you ever do it again, count us in. So thank you, Gus, for inviting us. Thank you for showing off your impressive, impressive collection. It's always a fun time to go to Gus's house. He has so much stuff, and it's like reliving the movie, seeing all his props. Yeah, his house, he has three levels of collectibles just in his house. The basement, the main floor, the second floor. And now with the Boba Cabana add-on, there's a bunch of storage in his garage which is a much nicer temperature controlled garage than ours would be i wouldn't put my boxes in a garage but his was cool and dry they also have a different climate there yeah and then beyond that another an entire level of collectibles and what i love about gus is his focus i mean in addition to just an absolute crazy number of actual movie props and lightsabers and masks, all of which are gorgeously displayed. He also focuses on some areas I never would have even thought of, like collecting the gold records and platinum records for the Star Wars soundtracks or the Miko album and the record awards, things like that. He has just 
an incredible display. And then, of course, his cereal box and food packaging. And he had on display a high school yearbook with a very young, big-eared George Lucas. And even the Star Wars outfits from Zack and Miri make a porno. Yeah, those are great. You didn't know what they were. I was confused a little bit. And it turns out, I guess, they wrote an entire script for Star Wars that was used as a prop in the movie. He even has that script of the movie within a movie from Zack and Miri. Now, those were in the basement, not on prominent display, unlike, say, props from the real Star Wars movies, but just amazing. All of his prototypes, all of his props, when you got into his Kenner area, the vintage collection... That is mind-boggling. And I really got a great display idea from seeing his vintage carded collection because he has it in Ikea Billy's with the glass doors, and then all of his vintage figures are in acrylic cases. I noticed something very interesting. We saw some huge, huge collections. I noticed that from the biggest collections, there weren't AFA-graded figures. These high, high collectors don't worry about AFA grading. They worry about their own grading scale because they look themselves and are expert enough to know what's a recard and what's a bootleg and all of that. So they don't need to pay AFA to tell them what they already know. And that, to me, is kind of a validation. I've never been an AFA guy myself either. I understand why you'd want it if it was something like a vinyl-caped Jawa. It does help, especially over the internet, to know what you're getting is authentic, but... I think it boils down to is it's going in your collection. If it makes you happy and you're satisfied with the condition, then buy it. But as Gus said, it wasn't just him who did this work. There were so many members of Sarlacc who all pitched in. I kind of felt bad because having hung out with these people at the last couple celebrations or even San Diego Comic-Con, I'm usually working in some capacity, be it on the collecting track or for our shows. Here, I felt bad they were all working so hard and manning tables and everything, and Marjorie and I were drinking. I know, I felt odd not to do stuff. It was, I don't know, I was uncomfortable. I wanted to pitch in, and I, I it was odd to just sit back and enjoy something. It, I felt very out of place, just kicking back. But there were probably, out of the hundred and some collectors at the event, a good 20% were wearing staff shirts at various points and making sure collectibles were given out, plus all the prep work that went into it. And our key contact for this, somebody who we talked to a lot and who worked tirelessly the weeks beforehand, was Amy. And we got a chance to talk to her about the prep work and kind of reminisce with her about the day-to-day items we did during our time at the con. Yeah, we are at Lisa Stevens and Vic Wirtz's house right now, home of the infamous Death Star Theater, which is, I can't even begin to tell you how amazing it is. And we also have a a first special guest on this podcast. We'll let her introduce herself. Hi, guys. I'm Amy Schoberg, local collector of the Seattle area. And Amy, you were kind of our contact with the ICE. Uh, Tell uh, the listeners what ICE is, how it came to be. ICE stands for International Collectors Event, and it started about a year ago around Memorial Day weekend. Um, Gus was talking about how after celebration, was it seven or we're up to six now? Um, we had talked about maybe having inviting some people to Seattle to see all of the different collections we have. Seattle is home to Sarlacc, the Seattle Area Lucasfilm Artifacts Collectors Club, one of the oldest running clubs of Star Wars in the United States. And um, there's just a really strong community of Star Wars collectors, and we wanted to share it um, with people. So um, last year, we met at a Starbucks, and we started talking about what kind of 
things we would make and exclusives we'd have and who we'd invite. And it just kind of ballooned out of that. Um, so it's really been a year of planning and coming up with exclusives. My, my job in it was really to come up with what exclusives we can make and how they'd be made and how we get sponsorships for it and, and what all of that would look like. So we know what they were, but like, what were some of the ones that you were most proud of being able to pull off that you were able to give out? Um, well, definitely the one that takes the cake is the uh, Palatoy Death Star playset that we call the Ice Star. And it's a four-section playset that's kind of takes its inspiration from that set. Um, but each section of the set features a different collector's house that um, people visit this weekend. So um, Vic and Lisa's house is on it, um, Gus's house is on it, and Lauren's house is on it, and uh, Tom and Michael's house is on it. So. And that was available for $75 and 100 were made? Yes, we, we made 100 and, um, and we did box art for it. We had Gus Lopez sitting on the front um, playing with his toys. It was, it was really, you know, once we had the idea, it just kind of fed off of itself. And we said, oh, we should do this too, and we could do that. And it, it turned out really great. I'm really happy with it. So you've been planning this for a year. How many people were involved in the planning? Um, well, we had a core committee of probably like... 10 people and then it just kind of ballooned out of that with the sponsors and different things i think we're up to maybe 26 core um, sponsors hosts committee members that um, helped run and organize this whole thing and the sponsors i mean obviously this was expensive we were thinking about it all the stuff being given out all the food being bought and everything like that were they local starlight members or um, I would say 90% of it's local Sarlacc members. We had um, a few exclusives that were rather expensive to produce um, because, you know, again, we're having people sponsor an item and then they don't really get anything back from it except for whatever the special thing is. Maybe it's an uncut sheet of a prototype or something like that. Um, so, so, yeah, this is pretty cool. And the first event was a wine tasting or at a local wine shop? Um, Don and Randy, one of the members of Sarlacc, um, they uh, are part owners in a place called Wine World. And so we had a kind of a social event, an icebreaker, if you will, pun intended. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we all kind of gathered together at that. They're, they recently sold their house and they haven't set up their collection yet. So that was kind of the reasoning behind that. Very nice, a lot of fun. Bocce ball. I don't speak bocce ball, so I didn't play. Not too many people did. I think we only had like three people that <laughs> spoke bocce, so. On Saturday, we actually did a massive group toy run where we went to Lynn's Toy Stable in Tacoma, which was, I, I had a really good time, not only just because I bought some Bendems, which apparently I'm one of the few people in the world who love Bendems, but it was fun watching all the people there just turning to little kids and I got a big kick out of watching all the guys like look at vintage toys with Steve Sansweet and it was like they're just everyone turned into an eight-year-old boy and it was awesome yeah uh, that's probably one of my highlights too I really enjoyed going on a shopping trip with all those guys and seeing Steve Sansweet in the store just geeking out on stuff with everyone else that was just kind of fun yeah I, I got peer pressured by Steve Sansweet into buying stuff I wouldn't have normally there were some really awful bootleg figures with tiny heads and Everybody was just raving about those figures, and I'm like, ah, fine, I'll buy some of these $5 Brazilian bootlegs. But it was definitely a peer pressure moment. I also got to joke Sansweet, because we're looking at some loose vintage figures, and there's three Bespin Leia's, and he goes, so which one's the painted neck Leia? And I'm just looking at him like, how many books did you write on this? You're asking me which one's the painted neck Leia? It's that one. 
Maybe he was quizzing you secretly. <laughs> that, that could be. It was an initiation. <laughs> but it was just a funny moment. To, it were those surreal times. It was a lot of fun, though. Um, yeah, we didn't make it to the store in Aberdeen, but I guess I hear that that's worth seeing but not worth shopping. Someone found a double telescoping Darth Vader at the Aberdeen store and got it for a really good deal, from what I heard. But um, if you weren't willing to drive all the way out there and dig, it, yeah, I don't think anyone really missed too much. But Yeah, time was short by the time we got out of Linz and traffic around here. Labor Day weekend, Bumbershoot has been a little bit crazy. Yeah, and we have PAX too, which is a huge gaming convention. So it's there's just a lot going on in the area this weekend for sure. And then Saturday night, we got to see another great collection at a bonfire. Oh yes, Tom and Michaels. Um, they're on a lake. And I've always commented to them how much their lake reminds me of Endor and the End movie. And that was one of our um, planning meetings. We were talking and I said, well... Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, you guys always end Sarlacc meetings with a bonfire. Wouldn't it be cool if we, like, burned a Vader somehow? And then we could set off fireworks on the lake. And um, that's what we ended up doing. We made a paper Darth Vader. Um, Tom and Michael's son, or daughter Alex, uh, did that and built it. And then um, we burned it. And uh, they saved some fireworks from their 4th of July fireworks show. We, we threw those off. And I think it was a hit. I think the one thing that Return of the Jedi missed out on was roasting s'mores over Vader's dead corpse, which Marjorie did. Yeah, that was actually a lot of fun to do. I will say the fireworks completely surprised me because I didn't know that they were coming, and they were a nice addition to it. Though I was disappointed that we didn't launch into a group sing-along of Nub Nub. They tried. Nobody knew the lyrics, strangely. Some people did sing along at the theater today, though. Yeah. Not to jump ahead of things, but yeah. It's easier to kind of go along when it's playing, though. You know how when there's a song on the radio and you don't know a few lyrics, you can kind of hum past that bar and then move on? I think that's what people were doing in the theater. Yeah, definitely. No, that was a whole lot of fun. Then, honestly, I think you had some of the best crafts out there. There was a silent auction for craft products, and there were, I mean, all the Sarlacc members. You're all so incredibly talented. I just really feel so fortunate to live in this area with so many great collectors and get to know them and be able to collect with them over the years. It's been great fun. We have a a gift exchange every December, and more and more and more people have been donating their time and efforts and making crafts and putting them in the exchange. And so it got to this point where I'm like, well, we're doing ice. We have crafty members. We need to kind of help defray some of the costs for renting a theater and doing things like that let's do an auction a silent auction and have members you know create things and and put them out there so it really went well i was surprised yeah i put bids down on so many things terry cloth chewbacca terry cloth wampa you did a jabba pillow you did uh sarlacc pillow kind of inspired by the lucasfilm pillow that they did a while back and this one was sarlacc with all the destinations on ice and what else was there? The stained glass pieces that somebody had brought in. We put a bid down on those. You won a purse. Yeah, did you make the purse? I did. Oh. Yeah, you won my purse. Yes, I'm carrying your purse right now. It's nice with the vintage Star Wars design. It's blue. It's a great purse. I won a Greedo keychain. I'm not sure who made that one, but it was a Greedo item. I put down 15 bucks. It's uh, from a local artist, um, Karen Medan, and she has a a store called Stumpy Town on Etsy, and she does these great little cute Star Wars alien cantina type characters, and um, they're always playing with yo-yo or eating a Slurpee or doing weird things like that. It's interesting. I did not attempt to outbid Steve Sands' tweet on the two items he won, 
both for political and financial reasons? Oh, that's probably smart. <laughs> you know, I was I was bidding up with Derek Ho on the um, Empire Strikes Back star tots, the custom star tots from um, Empire Strikes Back, and it got a little ugly there at the end, but I decided, you know, to be the better fan and just let him have them. So, plus I know the artisting lives locally, so I'm hoping maybe I can get something custom made. <laughs> Did you win anything in the auction? I did not, no. I was only gunning for those star tots, and I, I didn't get those. But soon, I will get something. What about the room sales? There was the big sale in the garage, I guess a giant garage sale at Tom and Michael's. And then there was also a hotel sale the first night at the Hyatt House where we're staying. Did I actually, I did buy a couple things at Tom and Michael's. I did not buy anything at the hotel sale. Oh, I did. I'm trying to think of one of our one of our guests is from Japan and he brought some really cool Japanese little tchotchkes that are kind of modern but little keychains and uh, cell phone fobs so I bought some of those because there's a wicked one and um, and he was giving out Pocky uh, boxes of Pocky with the new Star Wars characters on them that just came out in Japan so it was kind of cool to get that and they're tasty too. And then Sunday you opened up your house for the Kessel Run. A lot of people got to visit your collection. Have you had that many people? in your collection before? Well, I've hosted Sarlacc meetings before when I was at a different location, um, but I haven't done it in several years. So some Sarlacc people came out of the woodwork and we had some of the, the guests come as well. So it probably had about 35 people come in about an hour and a half time because they all kind of waited to the end. Um, but yeah, it was really cool because the stuff I have, and I've really been focusing more and more on handmade crafts. Um, so the stuff I have is pretty unique and people like, like to see that sort of thing. Well, on Sunday is when we did the Kessel Run, and I think it was 10 houses in three hours. Impossible. You gave me an impossible challenge, and the drive time alone was two hours and 51 minutes. So I'd have to spend a minute at everyone's collection, and we didn't make it to yours and Kurt's and I think Earl's. We missed three. But I will say that Ryan has one of the most stunning collections I've ever seen, the way he's got it arranged, and it is literally everywhere, even in his bathroom. Yes, and then uh, actually one of the collections coming up, Lauren Box House, it's everywhere as well. It's in the kitchen, it's in the bathrooms, he has a light side and a dark side bathroom. It's, so we have a lot of collectors with um, out of control wallpapering of action figures issues, some on ceilings and walls. Are there different activities on each side of the bathroom? Is that how that works? I have no idea. We just, you know, we started noticing, oh, there's an Imperial logo on the toilet seat, and then upstairs there's Revolution logo, so it's a joke with Sarlacc. We call it the light side, dark side bathrooms. And then today on Labor Day, we had a special screening of Return of the Jedi, the original 35mm print. It was awesome. It's also the best film, I think, personally, for me. It's, it's my favorite film of all time, so. Wow, somebody putting Jedi first. I haven't, I have not met anyone who does Jedi first. This is a, I, not, I agree, it's a very good movie. I just, I've never seen anybody put it above either, there are prequel lovers who say the prequels are the best, and then I've seen Empire and A New Hope always vying, but you went Jedi. Yeah, actually, if you ask Ryan Bisey, like what his favorite, truly, in his heart, I think he agrees that Return of the Jedi is the best. I don't know if he's just saying that whenever I'm around, but... I think, I think I have a special place for it because it's the first movie I remember seeing in the theater with my brother and my dad. And that's the reason why I'm really into collecting. It's Return of the Jedi. And you have a Ewok focus. I do. I collect um, Ewoks and mainly Return of the Jedi stuff, Jabba's Palace and things like that. Very cool. So are you looking forward to relaxing after this or are you already planning ice to electric boogaloo? 
I am ready to take a 10-year hiatus of convention planning, and I am looking forward to just chilling. Um, this weekend, the, the nice thing about all the planning I did leading up to this is this weekend I really got to just enjoy it with everyone else, and I didn't have too much work to do on the actual weekend, which I've appreciated. I, I really felt thankful to you and all the other members of the ICE committee who did all this work, all this planning, so that people like us could just come in and have a great time. I mean, all, we're just in awe of everything you've been able to put together here. And we knew you've done so much for it. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for coming. It's really an honor to host you guys. And we're so happy that you were both able to come. Thank you, Amy. Now, we recorded with Amy on Monday night. We had to get back to town, day jobs and all. Yeah, hey, it happens, right? So we missed the Tuesday events, although I got the impression a lot of people on Tuesday, even in Seattle, were going back to work because during the day there was kind of a more free form. Do what you want kind of day, and then there was a party in the evening. Yeah, and I regret missing that party, but what we got to see was so amazing. And as we mentioned, we recorded that at Vic and Lisa's house, and... Oh my god. Now, Gus has an amazing level of props and such, but Vic and Lisa, they were the founders of Wizard of the Coast. Lisa used to run the Star Wars fan breakfasts and the Star Wars fan club and Paizo. And so we'd met her a couple of times, but obviously, I mean, it was just at a breakfast in 2002. So a long, long time ago. But to see her collection was astounding in the presentation and the fact that it was a two-story with a dedicated staircase to take you from one level of the collection to another. It actually inspired us a little. It inspired me in many, many ways. First of all, it taught me something. When we review things that we see at Comic-Con or we see online, and my example that I went to was the first life-sized bust the Sideshow did, the Darth Maul, and when we saw it, we're like, you know, I don't necessarily like it. It it was kind of on a stick for a base. (laughs) And it looked... It's like a Darth Maul popsicle. Yeah, it looked good, but I just didn't see a place for it in my collection and things. But I'd say, whereas Gus has so much original items and one-of-a-kind items and props, what Lisa and Vic had on display was virtually every mass-produced item from Sideshow, Gentle Giant, Master Replicas, FX Collectibles. I mean, Sideshow put out one of their life-sized items. It was there. Gentle Giant put out one of their monuments. It was there. All the icon stuff with the life-sized. Just amazing. And it showed me that while when the Darth Maul came out, I didn't have a vision for it, you take all of the life-sized busts Sideshow has ever done, and you put them in this row display All of a sudden, every single piece of it is jaw-dropping. And she had it organized by line. All the Gentle Giant minibus were together on this island display. It wasn't behind glass, which made me nervous. I didn't want to get near the thing because I know how those things break. And I did not want to be responsible for breaking part of her collection. And all of the Gentle Giant statues together with the maquettes separate, all the sideshow 12-inch figures together, then the premium formats together elsewhere, and the sideshow dioramas together in a third spot, keeping all the scales together. And my initial thought would have been, I don't know if necessarily a Padme Nexu diorama would look good directly next to, would it be thematically consistent right next to Obi-Wan and Vader from A New Hope? 
yes, it works. It works so well. And I love the way she delineated her collection and showed that you can have a dense collection that isn't cluttered. Mm -hmm. It didn't look cluttery at all. It was very well laid out. The lighting was astounding, too. And I don't want to say she doesn't have things, because in her collection, she also had the prototypes for the Wookiee family for the holiday special, the Lumpy and Mala, and I'm blanking on Grandpa's name. Let's face it, Lumpy. Itchy. Lumpy and Mala are the ones that matter. (laughs) Although Grandpa did like that Wookiee porn. Yeah. She had the prototypes of those figures that Kenner did back in the 70s. So a ton of -of one-of-a-kind items. At one point, I remember reading in the Star Wars Insider, she had the only private, complete collection of Star Wars arcades and pinball machines. And there was stuff in there I never even knew existed. Marjorie is obsessed with Episode One pinball now. I must own it. It's going to happen in 2014. I will own that game. It is very cool. I think being Episode One may be overlooked, but it has a video display that looks almost holographic. Hello, and there's Jar Jar levels. There are entire levels devoted to Jar Jar. It was so much fun. I must own this game. And Jake Lloyd recorded original dialogue for it, but they opened the arcade up and everything was free to play. I'd never gotten a chance to play the Empire Strikes Back conversion of the original Star Wars game, and there was another game by Sega. I didn't know existed a really hard game. It was a, you're flying an X-Wing and Akbar is giving you orders. A horrible Akbar voice. Terrible Akbar voice. And that was a very hard game. I actually just gave up in the middle because it was terrible. It's kind of fun though because you could have two people. One would be the pilot and one would be just a gunner. So really amazing house. Um, she had, Her library is crafted right after George Lucas's own library, including having two levels with, again, a dedicated spiral staircase and a balcony on the top. Just astounding collections. And I don't want to overlook, though, any of the collections we saw in the Kessel Run, because as all of my collection right now is in storage, and it's something I'm working towards getting out by episode seven, that's kind of my internal deadline, is when episode seven comes out, I want my collection to be on display. And there's some other steps in the house I have to take first. We want to remodel the kitchen, which has to be done before I plaster the ceiling of the downstairs. It's not about me. No, no. It's a procedural thing. Yeah. Because we're going to drywall that ceiling and we have to change the plumbing. Yeah. That's because I don't like where things are in this kitchen, but that's why. Yeah. So we have to do some plumbing and gas lines and things before we get to it. So I'm hoping that by summer 2015, if Lucasfilm can make their deadline, I'm hoping I can too. But every collection we saw, I'm getting inspiration from. We went to see Marlo, who was somebody who I don't believe we'd met before this event. We have. Oh, we met her the last trip to Seattle? I believe so. And maybe at a celebration. Possibly. Her collection, and again, the way it was delineated by character, had a lot to show. And the way she had the bookcases set up, and she gave me tips because I'm like, how do you keep it all so dust-free? Because that's a huge bane for collectors is dust. And Ryan's collection, again, another character focus, a lot of modern toys in Ryan's collection, and seeing how he displayed them, the dioramas he built. Mm, Yeah, he built dioramas all by himself, big shelves, he's got Hoth, it was amazing. His townhome is literally floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall Star Wars, and he's got it all organized by characters, and it was stunning when you walk in the door. He's even got his bathroom done, it's great, I love it. Yeah, and I just have often wondered, how do you display loose figures in inventive ways? And every single display collection we saw was inspiring to me in different ways of looking at things, different pieces of furniture, different ways to use IKEA furniture. I think IKEA is every collector's friend. Yes. 
Everybody uses Ikea. But just astounding, astounding stuff. And there were a lot of giveaways and souvenirs. We talked to Amy about some of the crafts because there was a silent auction for crafts. I had two items that I really, really was gunning for, both made by Amy. One was a Job of the Hut pillow and one was a pillow that was kind of modeled after the Lucasfilm pillow, but it was for the ice event with all the different locations. Steve Sansweet outbid me on both. Yeah, but I did win one of Amy's purses. Amy is an amazing seamstress, and I was so honored to win one of those. Yeah, if you ever see us at Celebration or Comic-Con, and we have these really cool felt buttons on our lanyard, those are always made by Amy, and she does a different character for each event. And we had Boba Fett from Comic-Con, and it was like a holiday special colored Boba Fett. Here she did Royal Guard, just awesome, awesome stuff. And we were given some beers, Yes, they actually brewed their own beverages for the second night, which was at the Lake Kathleen Cantina. Another and amazing collection, too. Yeah, Just that was Tom and Michael, and they were such wonderful people. They were so friendly. But they brewed their own cider, IPA, and root beer for the event, and we got it as a parting gift. Everybody gets a little gift on the way out of this party. So Arnie's got the Bowcaster Cider open. And what I didn't even notice until we got back home is the graphic design on the labels, the way it's a parody of real beers. Yes, the Ewok root beer is Barks. Yeah, it's perfect. I couldn't believe the color, the font. So Marjorie's more of a beer drinker than I am. I, I, I like my... Mixed beverages. However, I did turn you on to cider this year. So is this a Lancaster logo that it's parodying? It's actually Strongbow Cider. Okay, I'm not very familiar with them. This one's very good. It has kind of a real dry champagne kind of taste to it. It's not a super sweet cider. The Strongbow is what's usually mixed with my Guinness, to be honest, when I get the rotten apples. If I get an apple cider in it, it's pretty good. And what was the second alcoholic beverage of choice there? Full Sail Barge, a Dark Side IPA. And that label is a takeoff, I learned from Google, of Full Sail Beer. Imperial Stout, to be exact. Or their Black Gold. Yeah, because if it was Imperial Stout, then they should have just called it Imperial Stout. But it's not a stout, it's an IPA. And as I'm not a beer drinker, I've learned now I don't think I like IPAs. This one was a little bit of a heavy, weedy flavor for me, a little dark. I don't think it's weedy. I get more of a grapefruit flavor. I think I'll stick to the cider or far more my speed. I'm more of a soda drinker and I usually put alcohol in my soda versus drinking straight beer. The Ewoks root beer. Yes. And that may be the best root beer I've ever tasted. My dad used to brew beer when I was a little girl. And opening up actually just the cider was very reminiscent of the smells when my father would be making beer. And one of the things he did for us, because we always wanted his beer because he made it, is he made his root beer one year. And it tastes just like what my dad made. It's pretty good because it tastes better than store root beer. It really does. And it's funny that they used a Barks label for Ewoks because it does have a little bit of bite. It has a nice crisp flavor, really good. And like I said to Amy, all those Sarlacc members from the coins that were designed to the pillows Marlo gave us when we visited her house to the crafts at the craft table to these beers, they're all so dang talented. They are. I wish I had a fraction of their talent. I mean, they all have different skills, but they all are so skilled that they were able to pull something like this together. 
And some of those talented, talented Sarlacc members are also the hosts of the Galaxy of Toys Star Wars Collecting Podcast, Jason, Tom, Chris, and Ryan. So joining us now are the guys from Galaxy of Toys, which is a great podcast. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely need to on iTunes. It's the one with Lumpy on the cover. It takes some balls to put Lumpy on your cover. And you got to listen. You got to get past Lumpy. You got to get past Lumpy on the cover and go check out this podcast. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? My name is Jason, and I'm one of four hosts. And Arnie, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to talk with us earlier today. And I'm glad to be talking with you now. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm also on the show, and I've gotten to know Arnie and Marjorie over the last few years. And I listen to your show all the time. Your your show actually introduced me to podcasts in general. I didn't really listen to them before that, and uh, it's been really great to get to know you guys over the years as well as listening to your show. Yeah, Ryan, I never even listened to a podcast until I heard about your podcast. Like, totally the inspiration for anything to do with creating our show came from yours. Yeah, that's great, Jason. Hey, uh, everybody, this is this is uh, Tom. Uh, I am one of the, uh, redi- well, a comedian in my own mind. Uh, I'm the foil to Ryan's seriousness. Um, having a good time. Yeah. Uh, Arnie, I have to, uh, I have to ask... Uh, do you have a problem with Lumpy? Do you not like the holiday special? I've seen the holiday special more than anybody should, which is once. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, we made it a drinking game at my bachelor party. I have no problem with Lumpy, but it, it certainly is one of those things that I got to make sure everybody knows that your show is better than the holiday special. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit better. No, I, I, I watched... mean, even when Ryan sings, it's still better than having that Wookiee porn. Well, you know, Jason and uh, I watched the uh, uh, holiday special when we were kids, the, when it came out. So um, I think we just, I think Jason liked it. I said I loved it too. So we'll just roll with that image. So Lumpy is definitely one of our favorites. I guess it's better than Harvey Corman or Mala. Hey there, uh, my name is Chris. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts of the Galaxy of Toys podcast, and I also run a website named Jedi Business, um, which is a Star Wars action figure archive for the three and three quarter inch and the six inch figures. Have to bring in the six inch now. Yes, please. Guys, we are here at the ICE International Collectors event, and I mean, this is your home turf. You guys are from the Seattle area. You're members of Sarlacc, which is the people putting this on what has been your behind the scenes involvement in this convention the members of sarlacc the local collecting community here have um been involved with the show i think going on a year about a year yes some of the members started planning it they slowly brought in other members to help um come up with some of the designs uh create some of the giveaways um manual labor whatever they needed done um so what about you personally? What did you do? I personally, my uh, personal job for creating for the ice was actually, I did the text layout booklet. Very nice. That's very cool. Ryan, what about you? What did you do? I heard about some of the initial plans. I wasn't uh, deeply involved with the, the plans as it went through, but I remember hearing some of the initial plans, um, things like uh, imitating the Palatoy Death Star and and the idea of inviting people from all over the world and kind of making our own um, convention, if you will, here in Seattle. I remember hearing that. I wasn't involved with the planning or anything, but eventually Gus says, you know, hey, who can come out and help? And some of that help uh, happened much 
earlier than just uh, getting things going for the the ice event as it was. Uh, some of it involved uh, moving things from his storage unit to his place and then back and getting things moved around to, to help get his place all set up. So, so, so wait, we, we can just say we're having a convention and people come clean our house? I guess that works. Um, I think we're on to something here. Guys, we're having a convention in December. Um, if you guys want to come out, I do have plenty of rooms for people. Well, for most of us, you know, when, when Gus says, hey, you know, would you like to come move a bunch of props? We don't turn it down. Yeah. Come to think about it. Yeah, I did help Gus uh, clean his house as well. Now, now looking oh, back on it. Wait, 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 wait. You're cleaning too? So when can you come over? Seriously, I got enough space for you and your wife. Come on out. Wait a sec. Now, we were we took a duck tour of Seattle, and we understand that there's a business called Men in Kilts that do jobs like this. Were you, in fact, in a kilt when you were doing the cleaning? I was not. And and maybe it wasn't exactly cleaning. I guess it was just moving things from here to there. Um, we also helped him set up, you know, set up chairs and move some tables around and break down some boxes and helped him get rid of a lot of his Power of the Force 2 items. And some bendums. I did grab a bunch of bendums. Uh, Tom, you missed out on that. Uh, Gus was uh, pretty much handing away Power of the Force 2 like there was no tomorrow. He had a garage full of it and you Oddly enough, you weren't there. You know, I know this is a podcast, guys, so obviously you don't see my eyes rolling around in my skull, but uh, I, I do have to admit, uh, for me, I don't want to derail here, but for me, I actually came in pretty late in the game, uh, so I I was designated to barbecue for all you good folks. I hope you enjoyed the burgers yesterday, and uh, I was also asked to pick up the dog poop and uh, clean up a few paper towels and napkins, so I wish I would have done more, but... There you go. Some of the other things that we were involved in with uh, getting things set up specifically for the event was uh, getting the bags stuffed, uh, putting like all the goodie bags together, putting the coins in there, um, like the Viewmasters we gave out at, uh, at Gus's place, uh, as well as in, in boxing up a lot of different things. So we'd have that ready to go for everybody and then labeling with everybody's name on to get those. Did this all come to fruition the way you'd envisioned with everybody. Ryan, we went to your house, toured your collection. I mean, was it at all nerve-wracking to have so many people just kind of having an open house for them? And some people, obviously, you may not have known because being an international collector's event, there are people here for the first time. Well, I think the nerve-wracking part was getting my place ready. I moved into it about nine months ago. And um, I've had a lot of family issues this last year that, that kind of kept me from getting everything done in my place. And as a teacher, I've had the summer off, so I was able to really get going over the summer and, and get everything put together. And I had this in mind to have my collection ready for the Kessel Run for people to come and view my collection. As far as you know, trusting people, I've done enough of the conventions as a volunteer. I've met a lot of the people that are here before. And we're all Star Wars collectors. We're all, you know, we're that community. And I, I think I can trust the people who are, who are here for sure. You know, I originally, I have a Star Wars collection in a Star Wars room, and I originally offered up um, our home as one of the Kessel Run homes, because I thought it'd be fun to show everyone our collection and get a lot of people from out of town to see my personal Star Wars collection. So I, I did volunteer for it. Um, I got home and told my wife about it. And after I saw the look on her face, I sent an email out and saying, I'm sorry, everyone. I spoke up too soon. We will not be showing our collection at ICE. But we did get to see Jason's collection on the Plastic Galaxy documentary a little bit that we saw. It's one I'd heard about, gotten some press releases about, blown away, and you were featured heavily on it. Yeah, I was actually surprised that I was in it as 
as much as I was, I'm I'm not what you would I'm I consider myself kind of an everyman collector. You know, I collect I collect the toys and a lot of the merchandise, but I'm not an expert on any specific um item. But I was happy to be a part of it. Uh the interview my interview was a couple of years ago and it was I think I was interviewed for five hours. So he pretty much picked my brain for every little bit of Star Wars toy knowledge that I had. And out of that five hours, he came up with about maybe three or four minutes that was that was usable, which I was happy about. I just want to state real quick that Jason just totally undersold himself. This man knows his toys. No doubt about that. I agree. And I thought you did a great job. The documentary... Everybody needs to check this out when it comes out, though. I was just impressed with the history of it. It taught me things I didn't know about it. Very vintage-focused from at least the 46 minutes we saw. So if you're a modern collector who has no interest in those old toys, might not have as much. It's very much about collectors of a certain age, that being ages that start with a number four, and looking at their childhood growing up with toys and the toys, how they were made, and all that sort of thing. But so interesting talking with you and getting the fans perspective, having Gus and Steve Sansweet on there is, you know, I, I agree. I consider myself one of the everyman collectors, but having the professionals out there, the published authors on collecting, telling the stories, and then also talking to the people who worked at Kenner and hearing their firsthand experiences making the toys. This was definitely a highlight of the con and just the history and the detail I think it's something that every Star Wars collector needs to just see. And even if you're not into vintage, understand why people of a certain age and that age starting with four or five or six are into vintage and why it was special and just such a great thing. And I told my wife earlier, I hope I didn't say anything. I don't I couldn't remember exactly what I said. And I looked at my wife. I'm like, I hope I don't say anything stupid or inaccurate. It is humbling to be part of something that is so much bigger and includes so many amazing people. To be on film with, you know, Steve and and all these uh, Kenner employees, it's just really, it just kind of blows your mind. So when I saw that little snippet for the first time, it was amazing. So, yeah, very cool. So, no, that was just a great experience. So what was your favorite moment so far? We're recording this on Monday night. Ice actually goes through Tuesday. But so far, what has been your favorite moments of the weekend? Uh, my favorite moment was definitely the the showing of Return of the Jedi this morning. Um, not just that it was like the original print, but also the, the, the movie theater was kind of old school. Um, certainly made me feel like I was 10 years old again for a while. I was definitely uh, my favorite moment so far. So. That was definitely one of mine, but the fact that for five days we were with people that we've, you know, talked to online, all these people that you know from the web kind of came together and were able to actually meet these folks is just pretty amazing. So, yeah, that's just being a part of this group is, is awesome. I would have to say the, uh, the first, actually the second night when we had the party at, uh, at Tom and Michael's, it was kind of the, hey, we're finally getting this. It, it, we're starting to take that breath of relief that we're into this. We're, we're, we're getting it done. It's happening. 
And now we can start to breathe and enjoy ourselves. But I'd also have to say the Kessel Run was a lot of fun to finally open up my collection. Uh, yesterday was the first time I really felt my collection was done and ready for people to see. And the people who came by were people I've met at the conventions and are usually big vintage people, but my collection is a lot of modern. And yet they were still enjoying it and loving it. I got so many compliments. That was that was really great just to kind of hear that because I, I, much like Jason feel, I'm kind of one of those just the everyman collector type of thing. And to, to hear these people who I know own tons of prototypes and props and everything and enjoying my collection, that, that made me feel really happy. My favorite moment was ordering Tom around when he was cooking uh, dinner for us last night on a grill. <laughs> no, um, one of the favorite moments I had was actually from the first night when we all showed up to Wine World. And I was just amazed at how many people were in the room of, of note. Really, just just um, just amazing to have that many noted collectors in the room who I could walk up to and ask a question or talk to. Um, it does get a little intimidating, you know, walking up to these people, introducing yourself. But most of the time when you do, most people are more than glad to talk to you and answer any questions and make you kind of feel right at home. I completely agree. You know, there were so many people here we were meeting for the very first time and all so friendly. And you know what, guys? We all went on a toy run with Steve Sansweet. How awesome is that? That was pretty cool. And, and and the thing is, when we got to Lynn's, I mean, all of us here have gone to Lynn's a number of times and shopped there. And I've never seen that place so packed full of people. She had a huge line of collectors who were just loving her store, which we already love it. We think it's a great place to go. And we, we got to see all these people from out of town totally enjoy that. And yeah, going to toy run with Sansweet, and he was there buying plenty himself. And it may be the only chance any of us ever get again to see Return of the Jedi on the big screen, and at least in, in its original format. Just a great, great time. You guys put on a hell of a show here. Thank you so much for doing it and having us out. And yeah, keep up the good work on your show, too. Definitely check it out. What's the URL? Just go to uh, podbean.com and type in Galaxy of Toys. You'll find it. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Galaxy of Toys. Search for us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, or pretty much anywhere where you source your uh, podcasts. And we will link to you from our homepage. That'd be great. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thank yeah. you. Thank you guys for coming on the show. It was a fun conversation. Just great to hang out with those guys. Guys who, again, we got a chance to meet Ryan, we've known for years from mm -hmm. Comic-Con, but Jason and Tom, we met last year when we went, and we might have met Chris. It was a lot of new faces when we went last year, but getting a chance to really hang out and talk with Chris this time, too. Just a bunch of really fun guys, and definitely check out their podcast at galaxyatoyspodbean.com. And we will definitely be bringing you more information as Plastic Galaxy comes available, because honestly, there's a lot of these fan-made documentaries, and when I get press releases on them, or just email solicitations about them. It starts to become a lot of noise. I don't know which ones to pay attention to and which ones not to. It took me a couple of years before I even was able to see The People versus George Lucas, and that one was in festivals and touring. So this is one all Star Wars collectors really should check out. Yeah, it was really well made and cohesive and coherent and all kinds of things you want in a documentary. Let's start with C. Yes. It was actually informative, too. I actually found the stuff that was about the Kenner behind the scenes really interesting. That's the kind of stuff that I find is fun. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, with a Star Wars collector's event, of course the world's largest Star Wars collector was going to be there, Steve Sansweet. 
I got the biggest kick out of Steve. He was Steve. And it was fun. It wasn't convention Steve. It was Steve. I had a great time visiting with him. I hadn't seen him in probably since Celebration last year. I guess it's been about a year. We saw him briefly at Celebration Europe, too, but didn't get much of a chance to Mm -hmm. talk. He was very busy with his Rancho Obi-Wan display and... It was fun to just be able to chat with him. I remember the very first time I had that experience. That was in 2008 when there was the Midnight Madness sale at Toys R Us. And we were there covering it. And Steve was there as an ambassador for Lucasfilm. But because none of us lived there, you and I weren't shopping and Steve wasn't shopping. And so just to have a conversation about the shopping and all of that was such an experience. And so, yeah, it is just Steve, but it was fun to literally kick our shoes off, kick back, and get a chance to talk to him for the show. Well, we are here at ICE with Steve Sansweet, and Steve is here actually enjoying himself, and we're sitting in a wonderful, beautiful library. We all have our shoes off. It's an unusual convention. You know what? Well, it's not really a convention. It's a convivial gathering and camaraderie of... Oh, God. You know, I was trying for my C's. I'm just going to forget about that. It, 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 this is really an amazing experience. And I think it's unlike any other that any of us have done. I mean, because as you said, you know, here I am with my socks off along with you two and this comfortable carpet in this magnificent two-story library with a circular staircase. It reminds me of a certain library at a certain... Skywalker Ranch, except for the... No, they didn't do the glass dome. But anyway, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing that I think we... Well, maybe not going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, but I think we'll remember the hospitality of Seattle area collectors for years and years and years to come. They have just um, worked so hard and planned so well and have spent a lot of money to make people happy. And you know what? That's what Star Wars is all about for us. It's it's about it's about fans and community and having fun and being happy and making other people happy. Now you've been up here before, right? Seeing I mean there's a couple of the really huge collections with Gus and Lisa's and just amazing collections and you've toured these in the past? I have, but when I stopped and thought about it, it's been 10 or 12 years since I've been up in Seattle. So I was up in Vic and Lisa's house when they were just finishing it. The theater wasn't completed. Uh, They had a bunch of the cases started. This library didn't have a book on the shelves. And so to see it now, this place will never be completed as far as putting things in and collections and and everything else. And, And there's going to be a separate expansion at some point. Um, and and Gus and Pam's place with a whole new edition. Um, I'm looking forward to going to the box house tomorrow night, which I remember um, was just a wild place uh, 10, 12 years ago. The last I used to come up to Seattle a lot on business, and so it's just been far too long. And so to see the places now and what people have done and how their passion has continued and even expanded is is very exciting for me. What really impressed us is, in addition to those big three, I mean, with the Kessel Run, visiting so many collections with Marlo and Ryan and Amy and just so many collectors with magnificent, specific, focused collections sometimes. And I'm trying to think. I mean, I talked to quite a few collectors, but I can't think of such a concentration of collectors anywhere else. And I'm curious with your, you know, 
global reach. Is there another concentration like this? No, I mean, there are other collector clubs, as we know. The Washington area, the Ohio Collectors Club is very active, but they really are state collector Pennsylvania, but people are scattered all over the state. There's a, there's a California collectors group, which I don't think I even knew about until, you know, like a year ago. Um, but Seattle is this vortex is this Bermuda triangle in a good way of Star Wars collecting. And, and it got that way because of, you know, Gus Lopez and, um, and Lisa and Stevens and Vic Wirtz. And so you, you get you get some really major collectors and then other people sort of who are collectors become knowledgeable and more open. And the whole idea of Sarlacc, which has been around for a while, the Seattle area um, collectors group. There is no place that I know of like the Seattle area for this concentration of Star Wars fandom collecting um, and and such incredible collections as you mentioned. There are you know two huge amazing collections, and then having the chance to go to all these other houses and seeing the amazingly cool stuff and different stuff and focused stuff and how people deal with their collections, which to me is as fascinating sometimes as what's in the collection. What do you do with it all and how do you display it? And, you know, so it's been great going to the two stores that we went to. You know, we went to down to Aberdeen uh, and drove, you know, God knows how many miles, 75 miles, and went to the weirdest shop and this guy named Don Sucher, who obviously just, I mean, in the best sense, he's a crazy man. I interviewed Don back in 1997 for the top Star Wars Galaxy Collector magazine. This is the first time I ever met him and that I was ever at the store. And he has this faded copy of the magazine article along with so many other articles that have been written about him. What a joy it was to meet him. I mean, and that's what this is all about. All these people that I've met online or emailed with and, and uh, sometimes talked to, we don't talk these days. We, we all, you know, email and Facebook and, and, and message, but to meet people in person, wow. What an experience. Yeah, I think one of the highlights for us is we've known these Seattle people for years and become friends with a lot of them. I mean, it's like my second family. We vacationed here last year for our 10th wedding anniversary, and it was great because we hung out with these guys for a couple of days, and it was like a convention but home in a strange way. And I finally got to see all their collections, and it, it was just tremendous. I mean, we went to Gus's house last year, and we went and had a big dinner and partied at someone else's house, and I'm just blown away by the hospitality of Seattle just in general. It's just amazing. These people are so friendly. Well, it's family, and I think we've all found that to be true almost 100% with collectors all around the world and who relate on this on this gut, visceral level. Um, with each other because of our shared passion and hobby and you know and you know we all have been around long enough to remember when geek was a word that was used against us and you know and and now it's a word that means for Hollywood you know billions of dollars and all this kind of stuff and geek culture is supreme hey we were there before all of that we wear the geek badge proudly 
and we deserve to wear that geek badge proudly. And it's, and again, it's all about the fun and the sharing, and and that's what people just just don't get. It's it, we we share. We don't stab each other in the back. We we buy things for each other. We you know I've been I've I've been friends with you know Gus and Duncan Jenkins for a long time. Duncan and I don't even keep tally sheets anymore. He goes someplace, he finds some cool stuff, he gets an extra one, he sends it to me. I find cool stuff, I send it to him. It's just like you know who owes who, how much. Neither of us could tell you. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's very cool. We definitely have some people we're like that with as well. On a much smaller scale, I have no doubt, but in the <laughs> same kind of vein. But, yeah, what about the Return of the Jedi screening today? Because, I mean, I really was thinking, you know, there's the DVDs out there and everything, but I couldn't believe what an emotional moment it was to see it on the big screen in the original cut again and really how much I flashback to 1983. I saw that movie 18 times in theaters in 83, besting E.T., which I had seen 13 the year before. It was my goal to beat E.T. You're sick, Arnie! (laughs) So now I've added yet one more to that tally of the movie I've seen most in theaters. What was that like for you to go back? I mean, is it something you've seen at all in theaters at Lucasfilm or anything? <laughs> to see you know, a, a, a near pristine quality 35 millimeter print in a theater sh- with fans who share that passion and of a movie that got you know roundly criticized by the know nothings and has been for years. Oh, yeah, they just did it for the little teddy bear. Oh, that's the worst of the three movies. It was such an awesome experience, and it's such an awesome movie, and remains so. And and seeing it today on the big screen with with friends and fellow fans just reminded us all about what a treat that movie was, and how nicely it 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 ended the original trilogy. And um, we all loved it. I you know there there you know there were scenes in there where I almost lost it because I was just so excited to see it again and and remember how great it was and seeing it on the big screen there you know we're all you know we're all this is the era of of downloads and streaming and as you said dvds i mean dvds are now and blu-rays are going away and um there's nothing like the theatrical experience that's what these things were made for, and that's where they need to be seen. Well, just to tell you something that why it meant a lot to us, it's kind of a weird story, but in 1983, my mom was a huge sci-fi fan, and that's where I get it from, into Star Trek and Star Wars, and we only had a few theaters coming from a very small Midwestern town. We were in the same line for Return of the Jedi in May, and we were very near each other in line, but we didn't know each oh other. God. Yeah, we were near each other at the toy store um, in the mall that had, like the outdoor plaza mall that had the theater. And we were talking about, there's a guy dressed as Darth Vader and he scared the crap out of both of us. My brother cried. My mom got nauseous during the speeder bike chase. <laughs> I remember her going, oh, I can't watch anymore. I'm going to throw up. And so we would never be able to relive that experience together. We'll never see the same cut that we saw back when I was 10 years old and he was nine. And this was amazing to be able to do that with other people and to share that experience. And we'll probably never get that experience again. And, you know, I think collecting changes my view of the movies because I notice things. It increases my perception of detail because even watching this in a home theater, you don't notice how much some of those minor characters in the background until they're on the covers of role-playing game books or Hasbro makes a figure. I think... (laughs) 
the Kenner toys shape my view of the movies as a child because if they had a toy, that was a character I paid attention to. And now seeing how much Yarna is actually in that movie on the big screen. Uh, That's so funny because I was thinking the same thing watching it today, and I thought, I never remembered Yarna having that much screen time. She was having a good old time and smiling. I don't remember that at all. All and it was wonderful. I, you know what? I bet it's cut in the special edition. I don't know that for a fact, but I just, I just, it brought back the same same thought at the, probably at the same time you were having it. Wow! Look at Yarna. She's look at her go, and she, look how much screen time she has. And it was, um, it was just a super experience. But that's funny that we both <laughs> clomped onto that same thing. I mean, Yarna Dolgargan. Oh, that's that's the. That's one of two characters that they didn't actually make back in the vintage period that kids just pined away for because they wanted it as part of their play pattern. Every kid needs a six-breasted dancing woman for their, oh my God. And then they finally make it, of course, and it's the biggest peg warmer in 150 years. Character focus. Oh, now that would be a very easy character focus. Well, but then there's the prototypes of the original that never made it. And yeah, okay, the Yarna Gargan character focus collector. You could probably still get a first day of issue from every state. You probably could. <laughs> the rare one's the not first day of issue, oh, Daryl yeah, tells well, me. Okay, yeah. Speaking of episode six, I've been asking this as people come back on the show. What was your reaction when you found out, and I imagine you found out before the majority of people, that episode seven was going to happen and that all that was going down? <laughs> I was I was very excited. Yeah, I was sort of part of um, the internal team, even though I'm just an advisor, that, that sort of was working on the the whole reaction to the Disney announcement and the new movie announcement about two weeks before it was made. And obviously it was top secret. Disney's a public company. You got to be really careful about those things. But, um, you know, Lucasfilm, very cognizant of fans and fan reaction. And, you know, just sort of wanted to have people who understood that to be part of this very small working group. And the, then both Pablo and I were able to have blogs that were able to come out within an hour of the announcement with both with our perspectives on, you know, mine on the long relationship with Disney and Lucasfilm and his on, you know, the stories and, and all that stuff. So I, I, was, I was beyond thrilled that the saga was going to t- continue. It had, it, I had long wondered about you know, I, I knew George wanted Lucasfilm to continue, even though he was, you know, talking about retirement endlessly. In a lot of our minds, I think, you know, for years we've been saying, well, the best possible endgame would be a Disney acquisition. And when Star Wars first came out, um, people, you know, the critics and everybody were saying, this is the kind of movie Disney should be made. This movie should have been released by Disney, and the, you know, because Disney was on really, you know, in ever since Walt had died, ten, eleven years before. I mean, they'd just been going down and down and down, and sort of lost the knack of making movies. And Star Wars was this, was this wonderful Disney family movie, and just coincidentally, George loved Disney theme parks. George was in line. The very first day that Disneyland opened to the public, f- flew on his first flight by himself 
down to a friend who had moved, friend's family moved down close by. They went to Disneyland on opening day, and he had been mesmerized by the parks ever since. And so, what what a perfect what a perfect combination, and to have Disney then say we're going to make three more movies, now five more movies, and God knows how many more after that. It's um, it's great. I mean, none of us know what it's going to be. We're all going to have to wait and see you know, what happens, but the fact that the saga is going to continue with fresh blood and fresh direction and fresh production, and it's great. It's great. I don't know where the hell I'm going to put anything, but uh, yeah. So, yes, with Episode 7 and all the other movies, have you looked at collecting in a new light? Because I have to say, it was it was eye-opening to realize there's never going to be an end. It's going to be episode three all over again and episode one all over again every year. Yeah, it's very scary to me as a collector and as uh, and as the uh, and as the founder and president of Rancho Obi-Wan um, to try to figure out, you know, I don't have the money to collect the way I used to collect. Um, and, and we've used up most of the space that we have, although we've just figured out how to add another 900 square feet. Um, <clears throat> but, um, we don't talk about that. Uh, we, but, um, yeah. And, and I have to make a decision at some point fairly soon. So is this going to be the museum of the, um, the George Lucas Star Wars or, you know, wh- what am I going to, what am I going to continue collecting? And, um, you know, I, I know I love the posters, and you know I've got. I mean, the action figures are so much a part of my of my blood. And oh yeah, then there's the top. Where do I stop? And I just don't know the answer to that yet. It will all become obvious in retrospect, as everything is. But um, those are some big decisions a lot of us have to make, because all of us have limited incomes to some extent or another. All of us have limited space to some extent or another. And so I've got to make those same decisions as everyone else does. Um, we'll figure it out. All of us will together. <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, we'll all hold hands and, and sort of commune, at least, at least uh, virtually. Yeah, and bringing it back to ICE, I'm, I'm surprised. I interact with a lot of modern collectors. Our show focuses on what's coming out. And we look at the past time to time, but it's all, you know, what is coming out. So here, there's so many vintage-only collectors and original trilogy-only collectors that Episode 7 doesn't really seem to even make a ripple among so many of them. And then... Yeah, and that's never been me. I mean, I'm always interested in the new stuff, too, as you know. I mean, that's why I listen to you, and I go to Rebel Scum, and I go to Jedi News, and I want to know what the latest thing in the story is. And, you know, what what am I looking for now? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, but I will, because that's what I... Okay, so now there are five or six flavors, I think, of Angry Birds, Star Wars... Pop Rocks candy. <laughs> they call it exploding candy. And and they come in in boxes of 12. And I went, I just saw them at Toys R Us, and they only had two flavors. And then I go online, and I find some companies that are willing to sell shelf boxes, and they have five of the six flavors. I've gone to every... 
in the UK, they have the lemon flavor. The UK is the only place that I, I mean, who's crazy like this? I mean, it's me. It's just, but I love that stuff. And that's part of my fun is, is tracking and you, you want what? You want Star Wars, Angry Birds, Pop Rocks? Are you out of your friggin' mind? Yes. Steve, Phil, get on that for Steve. <laughs> I, I can kind of sympathize because when episode three came out and they had the Empire from M&M's, Arnie had to have all the bags. Oh, yeah. And for a long time, when and visitors came to my house, they walked away with a gallon-sized bag of M&M's, a variety of peanuts, no peanuts, dark chocolate, whatever, because I had to do something with these um, M&M's my employees got tired of having cookies because I kept baking cookies with them they're like please really we've had enough stop just get rid of them some other way okay I've got a vintage story along those lines and that's C-3PO cereal because I had to have all the box versions and so I kept buying and buying and buying and we started Bob said okay wait this is ridiculous and I didn't like the taste of them anyway so we started loading up giant um, those craft shopping bags from grocery stores with C-3PO cereals and Bob's boss uh, had a like a, a six-year-old son and he loved them and so and his and his mom at first said oh thank you so much and then we kept bringing shopping bag after shopping bag filled with 3PO cereal and she kept hiding it from little Eddie because she was afraid he was going to go into sugar shock and it was just it was the same thing how do you get rid of this stuff without I don't want to waste it then again, I've been at conventions like in Australia, and they had all of these chip bags, and I think this was special edition, and and they were Australian only, and they had the Tazos, but it was the bags I wanted, and and they were the giant sizes, and and then giant giant sizes with with ten different bags inside, and and so I would bring them all back to the room and open the bags, empty the chips into the trash can, and then they would quit. there were small trash cans. And so I had to stomp on the chips. And then the same thing happened in France for episode one. There was this line of chicken products in the grocery store. Well, I didn't know there was like 70 different products. So every night I would rip open the bags and put refrigerated chicken into the wastebasket and so I can think the maid would be in the next morning she would think they were severed body parts and then they started calling me Monsieur Poulet on the on, at the convention I mean we all have these wonderful stories and you know they make we make fun of ourselves because it is so much fun and this for the listener has been this weekend in a nutshell this kind of random free associative crazy stories among a hundred and some star wars collectors who all have these stories we have the ones we've told about being in line at burger king for the toys and offering to buy meals for the people behind us because we don't want the food we just want their toy and people refusing free food because they think we're some kind of scam so yeah that has been this weekend so thank you both for sharing that because i think that really would give the listeners a, a clue in so to bring this back a little more on track tell us what's going on with rancho obi-wan these days i understand there's a big fundraiser coming up well there is thank you for mentioning that you know rancho obi-wan is about to celebrate its second anniversary um we're a nonprofit 501c3 museum and you know we say it's you know in in inspired by by you know it, fueled by the, the the force of imagination and um and it's all about a place for fans and and reaching out to fans 
who don't even realize that they're, you know, wow, when you see a collection like the collections we've seen this weekend, well, but these places aren't open to the public, just like my place wasn't open to the public. And and thanks to Ann Newman, who's our general manager, and Consetta Parker, who does our marketing, they convinced me, okay, this is the way you do it and feel not feel bad about you know, asking people to help support Rancho Obi-Wan because, you know, you have to pay the utilities and the security and, and the leaky roof and all that kind of stuff. And so for our second anniversary, we're going to have a big fundraiser on November 2nd. Uh, we're going to announce details of it in about two weeks. And the first people who will get the chance to buy tickets to this, it's a very special event with the most amazing swag in the world and celebrity guests and entertainment and everything else and a, a chance to just free free roam rancher obi-wan um we've been working on something through a third party uh we're under a non-disclosure agreement not disney or lucasfilm but a third party some very exciting news about rancher obi-wan and and we'll be able to share this on september 12th when when the, their big announcement is made and and to to hardcore collectors, it may seem like a dub, but this is really important because it's going to bring Rancho Obi-Wan to the attention of people in 100 countries, PR in 25 languages, um, and it's an amazing experience, and we're using that as sort of the focus of the, the fundraiser on November 2nd. But the fundraiser is going to be like a you know five, six-hour party in the museum with all of this amazing stuff happening, great food and beverage and everything else, and also to help us keep Rancho Obi-Wan going. Because one of the things we do, we give a lot of tours to other charities to raise money for their causes. Um, we do at least one of those a month. We do outreach to local schools, and we do a tour for local schools once every, once every month or two, and we focus on creativity and what Star Wars um, has awakened in so many people and how people have become artists and have gone into the film business or become astronauts or what a tattoo artist or whatever and inspired by Star Wars, and that inspiration still with the letters I get back and the notes I get back, just keep me going. Um, and the families who come through and the kids and, you know, who are still talking about visiting Rancho Obi-Wan a, a year afterwards, and mom, when can we go back to Steve's house? And it's it's been an amazing trip for me and being able to open the collection and share it with so many people and, we keep changing things and keep making things more interactive, and and you know this is event an event that we've been working on uh, for a long time now, and we're we we're finally going to be able to announce the details of it in just a couple of weeks, and it's it's very exciting for all of us. It really is. All of us who work so hard in putting Rancho Obi Wan together and and making it the kind of place that's you know open to fans worldwide. Well, that is tremendous, and we will definitely let our listeners know when you let us know, and hopefully have you back on to talk about it again. Oh, we will let you know, and there's <laughs> and there's some great back there's some there's some great backstory to how all of this came about. You know, I I don't I'm I don't mean to tease, but we I mean we really can't talk about it. We're just so close, but um, yeah, there's there's some cool stuff to talk about, and the party's going to be great. 
Well, Steve, thanks for joining us. We're going to let you get back to the party here. There's still a lot of liquor to be drank and a lot of people to talk to. There's lots of cookies. <laughs> lots of cookies. Uh, okay, now you got me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wasn't saying you were drinking the liquor. I'm talking we're, we're us. I, I can't drink. So it's uh, unfortunately my migraines don't let me drink or eat chocolate either. I've got such a deprived life. I'm sure everyone who goes to Rancho Obi-Wan, the first word that comes to mind is deprived. Deprived, yes. That's me, kid. That's me. So thanks again. Always a pleasure, Arnie and Marge. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Steve. And I have a feeling that pretty soon we're going to have him back on the show after September 12th to discuss the big announcement, which if you parse his statements and you Google just right, you might be able to sleuth out. Google does have answers. We weren't told. Somebody else gave us their supposition, which I then Googled along with some things Steve said, and I'm pretty sure the person who said that to us was right. So good going, Cole. But yeah, that was really the fun of the con. Seeing the collections was nice. Having the souvenirs was fun. But getting to sit around and talk like we did about all the different aspects of collecting, what it means to collect in an age where Star Wars movies are now infinite and not coming in groups of three, how to display your collections, how to value your collections, why you collect. These were the conversations that made that trip just such a one-of-a-kind experience. It was great because, you know, I got to see people like Duncan Jenkins and Ann Jenkins and hang out with them when we weren't running to the next thing. We could actually sit and leisurely talk. And that's something you don't get at a convention. And I got to see all my Sarlacc friends And that was a lot of fun. Again, because we weren't running, you had to be there and I had to be over on the other side. It was great. And I will say it was kind of awesome having to take off my shoes at Vic and Lisa's house. And this really, I have to say, was one of those transformative experiences that is going to forever shape me as a collector because it changes the way you look at collecting. And one of the conversations we had, and it was so great, was about how collectors do share in each other's joy. And you don't go and you don't see Gus's collection and you don't see Vic and Lisa's collection and sit there and go, oh, theirs is bigger than mine. I wish I had that. There's a few items that you go, wow, that's something I'm going to add to my wish list because I didn't know it was so cool. But by and large, nobody was moping about it. Everybody was like, wow, you've really built something here. You've really accumulated something. And We talked a little bit about the displays, but it's really all these conversations have me re-examining why I collect and what I collect. This is something Episode 7 has been bringing down the pike anyway, but to see these massive collections. And I've talked on the show about how in the early days when I started collecting and I collected food wrappers and pizza boxes and things, the term I used was delusions of sand sweet because I'd read about him... (laughs) in Star Wars Insider. Never, of course, how would I ever meet the man or talk to the man? But he was in those magazines and I'd read about it and I'd be like, that's what I want to build. But seeing this, it's like, if whoever dies with the most toys wins, I have just witnessed the three who are in the race for the end, or maybe four. I haven't gotten a chance to see Duncan's collection yet. And I haven't visited Rancho Obi-Wan yet, but that may change come November. We got to check on flight prices. But It's not a competition. It's not a who gets there first. It's about helping out others. It's about sharing in a loved hobby. And I've always said on the show, if you have 
two action figures and you call it your collection and you're proud of it and you display it, that is as worthy a collection as Rancho Obi-Wan. Absolutely. It's all in how you view it and your attitude. And one of the thing about the collectors we were hanging out with is everyone shares in everyone's joy. That's what's awesome. There's no competition. There's no, oh my God, I have to have this. You got this. No, it was great. I admired all these collections that we got to see, and I feel very lucky that I did get to see them because not a lot of people get to go to these places. These are people's houses. Mm -hmm. So this was truly a very special experience for us. Yeah, it's going to take me a long time to process what this means to me and how this will impact me, but I can definitely say I'm returning from ICE a different collector than I went to ICE. How so? Just seeing it, in addition to thinking about displaying, to think about the why you collect what you collect. Thinking what's important to you. The way Gus has what's important to him is food packaging. And the way Vic and Lisa have all those retail items in addition to the prototypes and things. Looking at prop collecting. Looking at, is one lightsaber worth more than 20 premium format statues? You know, where would you rather focus? Is it quantity? Is it quality? And what determines quality? Seeing all these collections and the displays really is going to make me reevaluate every new purchase I make as to the why I'm making it and to really think about, yeah, this premium format is an exclusive edition and it's up right now and I want it, but do I want it more than I'd want something bigger like a pinball machine I could put that $300 towards? But... You buy what you want so that makes you happy. That's the thing. If you want to make a pinball machine fun, every time I think about that pinball machine, I'll put 20 bucks in a kitty or something. I think you've been thinking about it a lot. I think we'd have about a thousand in the kitty so far. That's a pretty expensive kitty. Possibly. I really have been thinking about it a lot and I really want it. So maybe we'll just gift one to me, you know. Call me. Santa was going to bring it this Christmas, but since we don't have the collection and we're going to have to move the collection out of the house and then move it back... It seems like maybe on the move it back is when the pinball machine can be moved in as well. It just seems, dare I say it, foolhardy at this point. (laughs) But seeing all of this and seeing how every piece, even pieces we give bad reviews to, every piece can be part of a gorgeous, gorgeous Star Wars collection. So I just want to end this show by thanking everybody who made this event possible. I want to thank them for including us in this exclusive event because... It really makes us feel honored to be included with this group. It does. And I have had many memorable experiences with these people. And this was one of them. And I felt very honored to be invited and to be able to go. And I had a fabulous weekend. So I hope that through this, everyone was able to take part. Check out our website for tons of photos. And hopefully you checked out the Enhanced Podcast with tons and tons of photos so that You had the virtual experience of attending. And we will be back next week with more store reports as well as an interview with John Jackson Miller about his latest book that Brock reviewed on our last show, Kenobi. If you haven't read that one, do yourself a favor, pick that one up. Really enjoyable one-off book experience. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. 
You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that podcast at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. You can help support Star Wars Action News by making a donation using the Donate button at SWActionNews.com or by using affiliate links on the Star Wars Action News homepage when shopping online. Your support helps keep Star Wars Action News on the air. We also appreciate it if you would spread the word about Star Wars Action News. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes page is at SWActionNews.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is segment reporters Jerry, Brock, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve, graphic design by Chris, image editing by Jay, podcast enhancement by Andrew and Barrett, associate produced and podcast announcements by Brock. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all of the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. So joining us now are the guys from the Galaxies of Toys podcast, which if you haven't checked out, you're galaxy. doing yourself a dis... What? It's one galaxy. It's Galaxy of Toys. What did I say? Galaxies. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not discuss hydrogen, oxygen, molecules, and low temperatures. That's easy, because I don't like chemistry much. Um, 